politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, sovereignty, security, and civil society here at CR Podcast. It is Wednesday, May 10th in this week of the invasion. And this is really a good time to study the contrast of what ought to be and what Republicans actually do and the Republican echo chamber from Fox, Newsmax, and everything in between, all the talking points. This is a week where, on the one hand, everyone who calls themselves even marginally right-leaning conservative, Republican, not Joe Biden, uh, will all be pretty much singing off the same script. It's terrible. It's crazy. It's unprecedented. What's going on at the border? Look at Biden. Look at what they're doing. All right, that's great. But few will actually give a vision of what ought to be done about it. And not just, oh, when you have a Republican president, but as we noted yesterday, right here, right now. Right here, right now. Is this just about good talking points? And as I said, this is the moral hazard in the industry I'm in. Because you could have Democrats in power forever and no desire to change that or change Republicans from acting like Democrats. But you'll always be there to make a buck off of having an audience and chronicling the destruction of America. But rather than chronicling the destruction of America, I would rather try to turn things around or at least save ourselves in parts of the country. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, where there is no vision that Republicans are in charge of half of the states, including the most critical one vis-a-vis the border, which is Texas. Right, There's four border states, but Texas is the most important, not just because it has the widest border, but also because uh, that's where you have the most smuggling. It's through those routes. It's harder to come elsewhere. They do come, absolutely come elsewhere, but uh, they have the most. And there's so much we can do about it yet it's not being done. So I want to talk about that a little bit more, continue the the discussion from yesterday. We're going to have Ken Cuccinelli on, who was the former deputy DHS secretary, to discuss the fraud that Greg Abbott is committing. Uh, Maybe we'll get him into the presidential election as well because he's uh, running the DeSantis Super PAC, or at least he founded it. Uh, First, our sponsor today, folks, I am looking into getting new glasses once again. What am I going to choose? Well, there's only one company that I know of in America that is a conservative eyewear company that actually shares our values and offer great product that's better spectacles. They offer the world's gold standard, which is Rodenstock eyewear. Uh, They make biometric intelligence glasses. I already have my first pair of big. That gives you a seamlessly natural experience that works perfectly with your brain so you are thinking in, in concert with your eyesight. It's like, it's not just seeing better. You know, we're all nearsighted in my family, but it, it really does affect your brain power. And uh, brain power is certainly something that's needed in this conservative industry, which is pathetic. So if you want what I have, go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. I was a little skeptical, skeptical at first, but you could 
do this all online. They they do have technology to measure it, and you know it fit perfectly when I got it in the mail. So definitely worked for me. Sixty one percent off their progressive eyewear by going to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. That's betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Great eyewear changes lives, changes brains, and changes it for the better, not for the worse in terms of transhumanism. And changes what they are doing to us. I just want to point out, just to preface a point I made yesterday, um, just how remarkable it is that the left is orchestrating this invasion at a time when their um, obsession is population control. So there's this article uh, from May 4th in Scientific American under their climate change section, population decline will change the world for the better. So they're cheering this on as part of the climate change stuff. And they talk about how the UN predicts dozens of countries will have shrinking populations, mainly in the West. This is good news. Considering no other large animal's population has grown as much, as quickly, or as devastatingly for other species as ours, we should all be celebrating population decline. Isn't that funny how we have record deaths, record mortality? There's new data out in Taiwan, record mortality there after having had no excess mortality uh, in the pre-vaccine part of COVID. Record low birth rates in general, but then topping off with uh, uh, just, you know, six, ten sigma declines just in one year since the vaccines. And these guys are just celebrating it. This is their obsession. We all know about that. So why is it that suddenly they're all into they're all into this business of mass migration? And like I said yesterday, it's because they want to replace us. They literally want to replace us. Because they cannot have, you know, there's about 30-40% of this country that is ungovernable from their perspective. And I want to make us really ungovernable in sanctuary states for, for our purposes, not illegal sanctuaries, but constitutional sanctuaries. And that's exactly why they want to replace us. It's the same reason why they obsess about public health, right? But then when it comes to this, they don't care. Betsy McCoy has an article out she wrote last month in the New York uh, Post. She was, what, the former... Lieutenant Governor of New York um, under Pataki. She's a doctor. New York City's health commissioner announced last week that the influx of migrants from the southern border is delivering contagious diseases, including tuberculosis and polio, to our neighborhoods. The same diseases threats are also endangering other migrant destinations, including California, Texas, and Florida. In a letter to physicians and healthcare administrators citywide, Commissioner Ashwin Vassan explained many people who recently arrived in New York City have lived or in or traveled through countries with high rates of TB. Um, and TB spreads through the air like flu or a cold. Okay, so it's definitely very contagious. And I just want to make it clear, I'm not trying to do what the left does for my purpose and say, 
oh, you know, oh, there's problems. If people are unvaccinated, they're going to harm us. Because, no, I, the same thing applies, whether it's illegals or anyone else. If a vaccine works for you, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm just saying it's pretty interesting that they believe that Americans couldn't go to restaurants in New York City for not getting the COVID shots that were proven negative effective, even though the people who wanted them got the shots. But somehow you can import foreign nationals. And, and here's the difference. Because, like I said, it's not the vaccination that matters. That's what history has shown. Um, what really it is, is the standard of living, sanitation, and hygiene. That is the, the, the real reason why Western countries got rid of a bunch of diseases and why a bunch of non-Western countries still have some of them. So when you carte blanche import that, see, that is something you can stop. When, when you have a respiratory virus that is novel and runs through a country, you're not going to stop it. But if you have a virus that's not endemic to the country because you don't have the sanitation problems, but then you import millions of people from areas that do, well, yeah, that is kind of everything that you projected with COVID but didn't apply. That actually does apply here. Now, the commissioner raised concerns, but just basically in terms of demanding money, vaccination, resources, not to say, oh, so we need to have a lockdown, a travel ban, meaning a lockdown not of us, but a lockdown of the border. Isn't that interesting? Again, they don't care about, you know, a certain level population, lower, higher, in, in, in and of itself. They don't care about public health in and of itself. They don't care about anything in and of itself. They care about whatever it is as a means to an end to control. So they'll contradict themselves as needed. And by the way, I must say, it's not a coincidence that they're talking about a tuberculosis vaccine. Dr. Oslem, oh geez, I can't pronounce it, Terechi, Chief Medical Officer of BioNTech, okay, that was Pfizer's partner with the RNA uh, technology, they recently said at a meeting that it started trials for a new vaccine candidate for TB several weeks ago. So again, I wonder if they'll, they'll just use this as an opportunity, meaning the goal is not so much lockdown or source control. We don't want diseases. No, they don't mind diseases. Of course they don't mind it. That's why they created COVID, and that's why they created RSV, and all these lab leaks, so to speak, and all these gain-of-function things. They want the diseases because they want everyone vaccinated. So they actually like it because now this is going to bring in more things. And again, I mean, you have a lot going on there in Latin America. You have malaria. You have, I mean, some of these things are contagious. Some of them are not. Um, but you have a lot of different diseases to deal with. You have malaria. You have Chagas, uh, dengue fever. Uh, chikungunya, things like that, and scabies for sure. There's a lot of that. I mean, that's been Border Patrol and ICE has reported that for, for years. Um, it's funny. I wonder if ivermectin, which is actually on label for scabies, I, I wonder if they'll be allowed to use it. Uh, but but that's that's where we're at here. This is what they're trying to do. They want to replace us. They want to use the chaos to create more crime, more drugs, more you know contagious diseases, and then chaos is always an opportunity for what? More government control over us.
They create the problem, blame it on us, and then use it to control us. Same playbook with global warming, same playbook with COVID. So that's what, that's what we're up against. What are we going to do about it? Well, first, our sponsor today for this segment is one of our special sponsors, QP Goat Soap. Um, it's only another couple days left to, to Mother's Day. It's not too late to go to qpgoatsoap.com, put in promo code Daniel, and you could get their Mother's Day special. They have a special package, the four seasons of soap, 20 bars with five different bars of each season, um, really a full year's supply of soap that's normally 120 but with the Mother's Day special and the promo code Daniel, it'll be 89 bucks soap for the entire year. That's a unique gift for those of you looking for your wife, your mother, um, you know, something unique, but that's very necessary. And it's not just the price point is good. It's not just the fact that you're supporting one of our very own, a Floridian uh, Christian homeschool schooling family, Blaze TV family, but also it is the healthiest natural soap from Goat Soap, all natural ingredients. So many of us suffer from uh, skin ailments and, and who knows what else in the internal of the body. Uh, remember, whatever you put on your, your skin goes inside and uh, you know the, the processed soap is kind of the equivalent of the processed uh, food that you eat. So again, right now, go get their Mother's Day special four seasons of soap at qpgoatsoap.com, promo code Daniel. So we had the Texas legislature last night, and this is very important because you can't get anything more spectacular of a inflection point, a cathartic moment to harness current events to change policy than living in Texas right now, given what's going on in Texas. Every other year they're in session. Right now they're at the peak part of their legislative session. We had HB20, which um, – would create this border protection unit to uh, repel invaders and also make it a felony to uh, trespass. So all these people caught trespassing on people's lawns, boom, that's a felony. We could we could hold them on a felony. So this was HB20 by Representative Matt Schaefer, who's the only serious border security bill out there. And basically, Speaker Dade Phelan used his minions, which, by the way, include Democrats who have an inordinate amount of power, despite being in the minority on the committees. They had a markup last night, and they killed HB20, but then they said, okay, we'll incorporate some of, some of it into another bill called HB7. But the problem is, the incorporation didn't include the meat and potatoes. It was a classic, classic bait and switch. you got to love this, the way they think. You guys will appreciate this. So... Um, they said, all right, you know, you could have this border unit operating, except they can only operate in the border counties of Texas, not all over Texas. So that limits it right away. And they have to have the county commissioner court approve of any operation along the border. Now, anyone who understands Texas's politics now, it is changing to some extent, but still almost every border county, because of the demographics, it's run by Democrats. <laughs> so it was a classic GOP legislature move that you say, all right, you know, rather than you beat the Democrat counties over the head and use your plenary authority as leaders of the state, like like DeSantis is doing remaking the blue cities, here you make the blue counties 
superior and supreme over that policy and give them veto authority over it. It's unbelievable. It's a classic bait and switch. They obviously gutted the language invoking Article 1, Section 10, the invasion language um, from there. And of course, it does not include the provision making it a felony for illegals to trespass on private property in Texas. So there you go. I guess it hasn't gotten bad enough. This is the thing. It's like no matter what happens, everyone's like yelling on the on the, on cable news and, and Greg Abbott's all over Fox News. But then their deeds never match the rhetoric because rhetoric is all the, – the rhetoric's the whole enchilada. That's what it's all about. This entire business is about talking points as an end to itself. See, the left, they harness talking points to advance their policies. Our side harnesses random policies as a means to advance a talking point. The talking point is the end destination. Oh, let's just grab onto something. Oh, you see, Biden in the border, Biden in the border. Our country is being destroyed. Well, if you really believe that, you have an obligation to act. You have an obligation to act. Oh, we can't do it. There's all these excuses. So then shut up. It's obviously not bad enough. I hate to say it, but the border is like COVID. So I figured, all right, this week we'll cover the border. You know, that's something people understand more. No one wants to talk about the vaccines, which, by the way, we'll continue to do that. Um, So much more news on that. People continue to die every day from it. People continue to need treatment. But they don't care. All right, but the border, every Republican has now latched onto that. Okay, so maybe we'll use that as the inflection moment to finally cause a brinkmanship on this. But no, we get nothing for it. Absolutely nothing. It's just utterly pathetic. And folks, this is really where the fight is. It's in the states. I just want to, you know, I have, I have another column out today just expanding on yesterday. I called on the governors to meet in Texas and all, you know, create a deportation force. But in addition, the state legislatures should all convene special sessions. Just the power of that, you know, because most of them are either at a session or, um, you know, leaving session. Create a special session and say, we need to deal with this within the states. Again, Monday show, if you haven't heard it, go to Monday show two days ago with Todd Benzman. It is jaw-dropping. When you understand the colonies that are being created, you see all this chaos at the border. Where do you think they land? Basically, every major city in all 50 states. So that means not just Houston, but it means Boise. It means Indianapolis in the heartland, Oklahoma City. They're getting overrun. Places that, you know, in the last wave of immigration, illegal immigration, you didn't view it as, you kind of view that as, as a California thing, it's a New York City thing, it's a Miami thing, it's a Houston thing. It's every city and then a number of surprisingly rural and even suburban areas depending on, on the part of the country. And one of the things we need to do once and for all is end Plyler v. Doe. States need to set up a direct challenge and say it's not a suicide pact. There's no right to education. By the way, it's funny how they were able to shut down schools for Americans and somehow there was no constitutional right to education. But William Brennan said in the 1982 Plyler opinion that there's not just a fundamental constitutional right to education, but there's a right to 8 billion people in the world to have American education. So right now, 
any Joe Schmo in Kyrgyzstan, in China, in Venezuela could determine to co- that they want to come here. And right now, your city is on the hook to educate them. That needs to change. The state legislatures need to get into session. Obviously, ban employment, identity theft. You know, it's tighten up felonies for that, for transporting them, for trespassing. All these things, cutting off all bennies, but they need to end K-12. through That is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. According to the Federation for American Immigration Reform, it costs states a total of $73 billion, something like $10 billion in Texas. I just want you guys to understand the um, strength of this. Uh, so we have a bill, SB 923, by Drew Springer in Texas that would – End all education for illegals unless the federal government pays for it. Or at least end it henceforth. If you're not grandfathered in, so the new wave, you know, at least if you don't want to do that, just something. But it turns out, so it's hard to know, and I'm doing some research on this, exactly how many illegals are populating our public schools. But one measure you do have is what's called LEP programs, limited English proficiency. Now, to be fair, America's education is going down the toilet, so you have native-born people that are in it, but from everything we could see, the vast majority are illegal. They're not not all, so you can't take 100% of the number, but LEPs represent 10% of all school children. In Texas, it's one in five, and that's, again, obviously not because Texas has more Americans that are LEPs. That's all a function of illegals. Whether it's 80 90%, it's most of the LEPs are illegals. Um, some are maybe legal immigrants, too, because we're not doing a good enough job um, uh, assimilating. You know, one of the things in the Great Wave, you had, um, you know, people came over, they spoke German, they spoke Italian, they spoke Polish, they spoke Yiddish, Russian, but the kids all immediately spoke English. That's what we're seeing. It's a little bit different. But anyway, it's a one in five at a cost of $11 billion in Texas. But it's not just Texas. Indianapolis. By the way, the Indianapolis police, just police chiefs, just said they're not going to turn people over to ICE. The three-to-one supermajority legislature is doing nothing about it. But now... And this was as of last year. By the way, all the numbers are lagging because it doesn't actualize the biggest waves we've been having in American history the last year and then certainly what's to come. But there are now 78,000 students called English learners in Indiana who receive lessons in both English and Spanish. The number of English learners in Indiana schools has increased by almost 27,000 from six years ago. And I looked at the FAIR, Federation for American Immigration Reform Estimates, 20 2% of all Indianapolis students are LEPs. Like, that is, you can talk about, talk about the cost, but I think what's worse about that is, do you understand what so, sort of cultural transformation that does? America is not America anymore. This is basically every major city of every state now. It's Nashville, Indianapolis, Oklahoma City, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, you know, even places places like Fargo, they're all getting it. You can't sustain a country like this. So we talk about the border, but the effects are in the states. The states need to set up a direct challenge to Plyler Vido. So I want to go over a little bit more what states could be doing with our guest. First, our interview today is sponsored by our friends at Jace Medical. 
Um, I'm telling you, folks, they have, they are going after you. Uh, they are going to cut off your medications. 21 of 36 critical drugs are now in shortage, and it's only going to get worse. Get your life-saving medication while you can. JaceMedical.com, that's J-A-S-E, not with a C, but with an S. JaceMedical.com, put in promo code review at the discount, at the for a discount at the checkout. Um, you're going to have to fill out about a five to 10 minute survey just to make sure you're not allergic because there are people that are allergic to amoxicillin, but you'll get your Jace case that has five types of antibiotics if you're allergic to one. So you work that out with them. They'll give you a call and they'll, they might switch it up, doxycycline, uh, zithromycin, and two others. Um, they also will be coming out with some other products we'll be talking about as well. This is a very important take. This is the theme. You can't just complain about a problem. You got to take your own destiny in your own hands, whether you're a conservative state or you're an individual parallel economies. This is where it's at, jacemedical.com, promo code review. So, folks, we're talking about the need for men of understanding, men of the times, like we have in Nehemiah. We need men who understand the times and know what ought to be done. We have many men that could point out the crisis at the border and many other issues. But we don't have people making the policy play calls of what needs to be done. And, and again, you look at these numbers, potentially 13,000 a day. I mean, it's already hit 10, 11,000 a day. You can't go on until January 20th, 2025 to somehow deal with that. Oh, well, you know, they only have the House, so it gets batted down, and they don't have the control of the Senate, so it can't pass. And then, well, the states, the uh, state can't do anything. No, 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 no. That, that is simply not true, and that will get our country destroyed again. When you have places like Indianapolis, not just, you know, California and Texas, New York City, Indianapolis with 22% of the public school enrolment, LEPs, Limited English Proficiency, which is rough, not a complete measure, but a pretty close measure to the saturation of illegal immigration. I mean, we are just beginning to actualize the effects on the interior. Don't just look at the border. Look at what that is going to do and has already done, but it hasn't been reported on inside your your own towns and cities. So Texas is, is ground zero. I mean, that's where it needs to be stopped. Is it actually being stopped or not? So with us is our friend Ken Cuccinelli, uh, old friend of the show, he was former attorney general of Virginia, then he was acting deputy uh, secretary of DHS, he was also the USCIS um, director under the Trump administration, uh, really almost any good work that was done in that administration on immigration, which often came late in the term, was directly or indirectly a result of his work, and now he's been working on policies that states could craft. So I figured, hey, we bring him in to discuss this and more. Hey, Ken, thanks so much for joining us today. A lot of nostalgia here. Yeah, no, always good to be with you. Someday we're going to get to talk about good news. Someday <laughs> we will, but it's it's nostalgia. Like I'm thinking the last time I had you on, you actually ha were in a position where you could do something about it, and you were, and we're starting to turn the corner. And here we are today. There's no backstop. So what I'm finding from my colleagues is it's a great day to be alive. They love it because it's crazy. It's chaos. It's indefensible. So there's a lot of great talking points of what a buffoon J Joe Biden is. But we can't afford 
to just have talking points. We need to do something about it. So Greg Abbott is like the hero on every conservative talk show, Fox and Newsmax. And he's like, I got these assets, the the planes, the helicopters. It looks like he's doing a lot. What are we missing? Yeah, it reminds me of the only joke my Italian pastor ever told. He said, what do you do when Jesus comes back? Look a busy. And, uh, and Greg Abbott is busy looking busy and doing nothing. I mean, it's been two years of photo ops under the super cool named Operation Lone Star. <laughs> you know, they don't ever name it Operation Look Like We're Doing Something. And um, it, it's never accurate. And uh, and this BS, he continues to play this game because people don't pay super close attention. Frankly, I think it has been cruel that he has activated his National Guard for two years to no purpose. What are they doing? So this is very disruptive of their lives. And they agreed to serve their state and serve their country in this way. But for a purpose, if you're going to disrupt their lives, you have an obligation to make it matter. And he's just doing photo ops. But that didn't he put out point. some sort of statement that he was going to finally repel them at the border, not just deliver Use them? the word repel, and he doesn't do it. We all – look, <laughs> we don't have to argue what repel means, right? At the border, it means you turn them back into Mexico. That's what it means. But that isn't what he's doing. It isn't what he's ever done. He's really just supplemented – the uh, human trafficking effort that the Border Patrol has been slave to by this president. And I do want to correct one thing you said. You said this is buffoonery by Biden. Buffoonery suggests incompetence. <laughs> this is intentional yeah. policy, intentional policy by this administration. And it is intended to undermine the sovereignty, borders and national security of this country. And it is doing that. And, and I'm glad he pointed that, that out because that word negated the, the opening monologue where I described why you know, it's purposeful they're doing uh, population replacement because at the same time, every policy is oriented towards reducing the population. Somehow they don't mind this. At the same time, they say that you have to shut down human rights, civil rights, freedom of movement from Americans for communicable diseases. Now they admit there's tuberculosis coming across, which is something we could keep out because it's not endemic of this country. It's more uh, related to a uh, hygiene standard of living. And they some suddenly have no problem with it. So again, it's achieving a means. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? Um, people think this is chaotic, and you you have chaotic scenes, but in fact, it's very meticulous and methodical. The the paper trail of 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 where they come from, how they come up, the smuggling routes. Who is behind this? Yeah. So I, I had an interviewer uh, say to me the maybe a week ago, you know, this looks like the government's involved in organizing it. And I said, no, no, they don't need to organize it. Capitalism takes care of that for them. Hmm. I mean, this is illegal capitalism, unregulated capitalism, but the most vicious evil people in the Western Hemisphere, the Mexican drug cartels, are managing and profiting from this flow. It, it's hard to have exact numbers but it appears that they may be making more money from human trafficking now than drug trafficking. Wow. Thank you, Joe Biden. And, um, and literally, these people kill men, women, and children, rape women all along this path um, for their own entertainment. You know, And the supposedly 
pro-woman folks in, in America don't give a flying rat's tail about that and about the abuses that are endemic to this whole process. But this is a system. If you go with your smartphone um, and you live in Guatemala, you live anywhere south of America, um, you will get in your social media feed advertisements for coyotes. Coyotes, for those who don't know, are the name of the folks who round people up, get them to pay to get them to the U.S. border and across the U.S. border. And they pay, in turn, a fee to the cartels for the privilege of crossing their territory somewhat safely. And um, that's the flow of money here. Some of them do it on a debt basis and still owe money once they're in the United States. And so there's this indentured servitude arrangement with these cartels and coyotes. And you can bet that they're not going to take you to court to enforce that debt. It's going to be much more violent than that. And that's part of why they kill people along the way so that no one has any doubts of what they're willing to do. They kill people along the way, and they kill them in the interior of the country. Yes. They have their operations. This is where, where people have these gruesome you know, findings of these parks in Long Island or Montgomery County, Maryland, Fairfax County, Virginia, um, close to where you're at in Virginia. There's so much, I mean, especially around the nation's capital, right. tons of this activity. So that's really where I wanted to go with this. You know, we call it a border crisis, but the reality is the effects are in the interior everywhere, and therefore the demagnetization could be applied everywhere. So if I make you governor for a day, so I first want to say governor of Texas, but then also governors of other states as well, what are some things that need to be done now? So the border state governors have clearer authority than anybody else to actually stop the flow. Article 1, Section 10, Paragraph 3, the very end of Article 1, I'd invite your listeners to go read it. It's usually referred to as the Compacts Clause. That's what people hear it called, and you might remember from civics class. This is a list of things states are not allowed to do without congressional permission. One of them is, not surprisingly, wage war. However, that has an exception. And it says, unless actually invaded or under imminent threat of such invasion. Well, no one can seriously argue. Um, and the polling, like a year ago in the United States, had a majority of Americans saying, yes, this is an invasion. We're being invaded. Um, and that allows the governor of Texas, under uh, both the U.S. and the Texas Constitution, to use Texas forces to repel those people. And Texas Governor Abbott simply refuses to do it. He's done, he's declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10. So he's actually acknowledged the condition exists, <laughs> but he doesn't use his force. And I want to be clear with your listeners the language of the Constitution says wage war. That doesn't mean we need to roll tanks and bomb Mexico and all but it means they could even do that. We're not calling for that. The founders, the founders left that to the wisdom of the yeah. governors in question. They knew that and they trusted that American governors would use the appropriate level of force yeah. to deal with what what the, the invasion uh, consisted of at that time. And right now, all this would look like this is all it would look like is state officials 
doing the exact same thing federal officials have been doing for two years under Title 42. Yes. You just take them back immediately. Now, uh, there is one logistical challenge that Texas has that New Mexico, Arizona, and California don't. That's they've got to cross the river again. Now, you said if I were the governor of Texas, if I were the governor of Texas, I would put my folks on the Mexican side of the river where Mexican officials weren't, and I would stop people before they entered the river from ever going in. Which they can, because, I mean, this is purely defensive. I'm saying, technically speaking, from the Constitution, they could send their their um, Texas military forces assets and wage war with the cartels. We're not even, we're not calling for that. But technically, they could do that. You have the Hakans, those scouts that are on the Texas yes. side, yes. operating um, directing their operations. You also have a lot of um, public corruption there, these used car uh, businesses and a lot of businesses and lanes at the border that they need to use legal assets to go after the cartels. But, I mean, I'm finding one after another. It's not just what Abbott does executively or doesn't do. but And, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, how you have these governors where you have these, like, civilization fights in the legislature and the governor is silent. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're, you're the big cheese there. If you really are with us, you know, you're going to be lending support. And we have the bill to set up a challenge to Plyler Vito on education. Um, we had the Matt Schaefer's bill, the HB 20, which was to create that repelling force as well as the trespassing law. There's several other bills. I'm just not seeing him take a position. So Dade Phelan goes and kind of kills them and, you know, they, they die a death or they get one of the Democrat chairmen in the committees that shouldn't be chairman, but they are anyway, um, to kill it. And, you know, to me, I, I always thought that if you just make illegal immigration illegal, you know, forget about border security. But if you just say like, dude, you have no future here, you won't be able to get a job, you can't steal identity, you can't trespass, no bennies. But here are like, you better not come. Oh, but by the way, if you come, we're going to make sure there's education. We're going to make sure that the police don't. And in fact, we're going to prosecute those who try to go after you. Isn't that ultimately what it is? I mean, we could talk about what the cartels would look like without that distraction and money and logistics of the flow, the dangerous people, the drugs. But as far as illegal immigration, forget about the cartels. You don't even have to wage war on them. If you just made it that they couldn't live a life in America, they wouldn't come. Right. Well, and that leads to the non-border governors. And, yes. you know, you look at, and I'll, I'll zero in on DeSantis, um, because the Mexican president has taken to attacking him in the last week because he is being aggressive in, we'll call it disincentivizing illegal immigration um, in Florida more aggressively than anywhere else in the country right now. And there are opportunities. You do things like get rid of in-state tuition for illegals or people who can't prove they're citizens. Um, and, uh, it, and the list goes on. Of course, one thing Greg Abbott has been effective at, I, I don't want to speak approvingly of it because it's human trafficking, but busing these folks to Chicago and New York, and in DeSantis's case, <laughs> to Martha's Vineyard, that was quite a show, um, really highlights the unbelievable degree of hypocrisy of the virtue signaling left. Um, and, and that is useful to the public debate, but I'd rather he turn those buses around and have them make 25 mile trips 
instead of 2,000 mile trips and just go drop these folks in Mexico. And um, if they knew that that's what was going to happen to the Texas border, they wouldn't come to the Texas border. You know, you introduced me as having, you know, been working in this space. And that's the bottom line from our real world experience. When they believe, when they truly believe, if they're sitting in pick your place they may come illegally from, if you are deciding, am I going to uproot myself and try to cross the U.S. border, if you believe you'll get in, the answer to that is usually going to be, let's do it. And if you don't believe you'll get in, the answer to that is usually, well, I don't think that's worth trying. And then they don't come in the first place. You know, success isn't measured by how many people you return. Success is measured by driving the numbers coming to the border down. That's how you measure success. And, you know, interestingly, we, we were talking about Greg Abbott. He's never said, what does success look like for Operation Lone Star? He doesn't put goalposts out there because, first of all, they'd be embarrassing. Second of all, if they were meaningful in any way, he would fail to meet them. I mean, as you know, Daniel, when he started this two plus years ago, I said it wouldn't work without actually returning people to Mexico. And I was right. That wasn't rocket science. That was just my real world experience. Mark Morgan said the same thing. And we were right. And it's and Texas has spent billions with a B of dollars on Greg Abbott's photo ops. Unbelievable. I mean, I guess it's got to get worse. It's just got to get worse uh, for them to act. And I shudder to think what that is. So I want to use this as an opportunity to talk about the 800-pound gorilla, gorilla in the room that a lot of people are going to want to know bringing someone like you on. So you're in an interesting position. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people seem to, you know, because things are so bad, they seem to forget, you know, what happened before. And they seem to think, oh, my gosh, you know, let's go back to the Trump administration. Things were really amazing, you know, because they're thinking of kind of that COVID era where COVID really shut down the border. They forget the border flows then. Um, and this that really set the precedent for what I would say the caravan mass public migration that that was catalyzed then almost similar to the debt where, you know, it's so bad now people forget, you know, there's this nirvana. So you served in it. So you would be the type of person that people would expect would be like, man, look what I was able to do. And I can't wait to get back to that. And I'm going to sit and support Trump. So I'll, I'll vie to be DHS secretary or something similar. And we're going to shut this down. But instead, you you founded a super PAC supporting someone else. Could you discuss in, in, your rationale a little bit? Indeed, I have. I'm supporting DeSantis, hoping he gets in this race for president. It looks like he's going to. Um, look, uh, I, Bill Barr isn't generally viewed on the right as someone you look to for advice necessarily. But he gave a speech in Cleveland where he hit a lot of the reasons for those of us that worked with Trump inside the administration, that we know he can't succeed. And, and he, he lacks self-discipline of any kind. Everybody would have complained about his tweeting getting in his own way, for ex just to use one example. He doesn't prepare, but he does typically make good gut decisions, and he doesn't follow through. Mm. So no preparation, no execution. What do you think that leads to? I mean, I'll give you an example. One time, I finally convinced him to tax, this sounds funny coming from me, 
to tax H-1B visa holders. <clears throat> These are supposed high-tech visas that really displace middle-class yeah. American Any workers. Any accounting or computer job, nursing job. Right, yeah. exactly. But they aren't charged Social Security and Medicare taxes, the theory being, well, they're not here permanently. Yeah, whatever. And the result is they're 15% cheaper, cheaper for a company. And the OPT program um, yeah, that, so, that does that. So he said, yeah, okay, all right, we'll do that. Um, and his idea of executing that was to tell me in the Oval Office, all right, you go tell Mnuchin to do it. <laughs> I couldn't even get Mnuchin on the phone. Oh, my gosh. Who we jokingly referred to as President Mnuchin. You're pissing me off. I, I'm, I'm sorry I even broached this up. You're just, like, conjuring up. I have PTSD from those years. Because your situation, you on immigration, reminds me of Scott, Scott Atlas on COVID. So it was a cycle. We'd start out with the, the deep, like, you'd have Mnuchin, you'd have Jared, you'd have Kelly, Tillerson, Mattis, all these guys. The antithesis of everything he said he would hire, they were the top dogs. And then we would complain on the right and gradually, eventually gain traction. Maybe he'd see someone on a Fox show or something, and that, that's how we'd learn about it. And then gradually, so Scott Atlas got his debut here at The Blaze with Steve Dace and myself. Then he started going on Fox, and he saw him. So finally, finally, this was like August, you know, and then COVID started in March. He, after all the damage was done, he got him in. Got him in, Okay. And then we're like, finally, we cleared it out. But no, it was just a Game of Thrones. You'd be like, all right, Scott, you go battle it out with Debbie and, and Tony. But, well, no, you get rid of Debbie and Tony, so right. Scott is in charge. Is well, that again, what you experienced again, on immigration? You asked, me, you asked me why I'm with DeSantis. First of all, he is a conservative who fights and doesn't back down. And i that's rare, as you know. Yeah, uh, And he wins and he succeeds. If you, if you, you know, we've heard a lot about you're going to get sick of winning. If you want to actually win DeSantis, if you want to talk about winning Trump, but actually winning DeSantis, talk about winning Trump. And look at all the people he brought in. Mark Milley. He complained about Mark Milley. He hired Mark Milley. Rex Tillerson, State Department. John Mattis, Defense Department. If you have the anti-war foreign policy that he had or supposedly had, why do you hire John Bolton to head your National Security Council? You know, John Bolton's a very experienced professional, but he does not hold that worldview. He holds the opposite worldview. And and the list writes Priebus as the as the uh, chief of staff, not firing Comer, Comey on day one. I mean, and there were lots of people and then replacing him with with Ray. And replacing Ray and then complaining about Ray. <laughs> and by the way, the personnel person he had running things at the beginning was a John Boehner guy. And last but not least, he never, ever, ever crossed Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell. Ever. Ever. Well, it's because Mnuchin did all the negotiation. People mistakenly think that President Trump, they still have this mistake that he was anti-establishment. He is absolutely not anti-establishment. He is unconventional in the extreme, but he is as much a part of the establishment just from New York um, as any of the others. And, and that was a serious, serious problem. Serious problem. I had some funny meetings that that caused, but only funny in the conduct, not in the outcome. But as far as your you know, work at DHS, at USCIS, um, 
is this what you experienced, this schizophrenic nature where on the one hand you felt empowered to go ahead and do things? And I remember you pushed a lot. You were a big part of the effort to publicize the magnitude of illegal alien crime that was being covered up by DHS and you would try to put it out. But that you were also being stymied by other forces in the admin who should have been swimming in your direction but were swimming the other yeah, way. So, so the president borders on random in terms of the quality of his personnel selection. And if you compare that to DeSantis, um, DeSantis is willing to let people go when they're not on board. And he did it without drama, without a lot of, you know, none of the Omarosa dragging out the door with fingernail marks across the floor um, drama. And and he, the people he hires aren't pro DeSantis they're on board with the agenda. Mm. It isn't personal. It's the principles and the goals of serving the people of Florida. And next, I hope the people of America. And and they all march in lockstep. And you know what? What I'm an engineer for. I went to the dark side and went to law school. I'm an efficiency nut. That is efficient. If you don't have to beat on your own people to pursue the goals you ran on, guess what? You get more done. You get more done. And, and, you know, we could spend 30 minutes going through the list of people that he either hired or empowered, Tony Fauci, you know, COVID is, was kind of a classic case for it. But, um, uh, that list is long and, uh, and unfortunately has a lot of big time characters on it who were against, he literally hired people to oppose the agenda. And you talk about immigration. When it came to legal immigration reforms, I just mentioned one, the H-1Bs. It was always a steep uphill battle for me in the White House. And on on legal immigration, I can't think of a difference between Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. No way. But he says he wants to... I can't name one. But he gave all these speeches, you know, and said that he supported the RAISE Act and reducing the numbers and, you know, has yeah, to be... Did he ever propose a bill in four years? For, forget Republicans had it for two and Dems were there for two. Did he even draft a bill? Uh, nope. The RAISE Act, I guess. They sure talked about a bill for a long time, didn't they? But the RAISE Act was really Tom Cotton. I mean, I don't think yeah. that was the White House's bill. I mean... I'm just trying to I'm trying to find something here. You know, it's it's tough. But what you're suggesting is it's not just COVID. People think, oh, it's great until COVID. But no, I mean, COVID was emblematic of of the broader picture. I always felt that we were playing in a way game, even even on the issues that he was rhetorically strong on. I felt we had certain mutual friends we would talk to privately that were in the admin were like, you know, hustling to do something. But they were never the top dogs, and we always had to fight through them. Um, and I was hoping that after you know he was attacked so much by the establishment that he'd come in full bore now. But I look at the personnel around him, and you still see the Lindsey Grahams making all these endorsements. Um, <laughs> and every the endorsements are awful. I mean, it's like before Trump, we had a ten percent chance of winning in a primary against the establishment, and now we have a zero percent because he comes in. And lends in support. He's going to support Jim Justice in West Virginia. The guy was a COVID fascist par excellence, literally a Democrat on every issue. Um, you know, Matt Rosendale in, in 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 Montana is a Freedom Caucus guy seeking the Senate seat. And, you know, some in the Trump world are beating on him now. We'll see what happens there. 
Um, but I just feel like let me you let me just be, you can be more categorical about that, Daniel. Literally, I'll I'll talk about just until he left the White House, with the exception of Mark Meadows District, which is an exception because Mark was sitting there. Um, he literally got every single endorsement he ever made in a competitive Republican nomination wrong. Every single one, hundred percent. You go test it. You know your listeners can. There's no equivocating here on my part. A hundred percent. It's easy to punch a hole in in never. He never got one right. Romney, McCain, Graham, DeSantis. Uh, oh, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm talking about federal elections. Federal, okay. sorry, but he I'm regrets it. <laughs> he regrets it now. So, but uh, yeah, he regrets it because loyalty is a one way street for Donald Trump. Loyalty Jeez. equals fealty in one direction. And America first is a cover phrase for Trump first. He's not America first. He's Trump first. And he (laughs) believes if it's best for him, it's best for America. I mean, that's how he gets to America first. And I don't I like the president. I enjoyed working with him. I could never have, say, worked in the Bush administration. He let us be rough and tumble and all the rest. And and uh, and to argue, so long as we recognized he was a president, and when there was when everything was said and done, his decision was the one we enacted, and we did, and I did that faithfully and as effectively as I could. Um, nonetheless, uh, in many ways, it was a, it was disastrously run. There's there's no one on his team except one guy, the the lead in New Hampshire from his original campaign. You're not seeing a lot of people from the administration jumping back in and saying, contradicting me. Oh, no, when I worked with him, everything ran smooth and this and that. And um, I haven't heard that person yet. I look at the campaign and it's almost as if he never was president. I mean, the way he talks is as if he wasn't there and he's a new, fresh voice saying this stuff for the first time. Yeah, whenever you hear, Daniel, whenever you hear, I'm going to do fill in the blank, your first question should be, why didn't you do it when you were there? Well, this time he really learned his lesson. You know, the deep state was bigger than he thought. And and now he's, but, but like you said, you can only drain the deep state if you have a shallow state that that uh, purports to to abide by your principles, your campaign promises. But that was it's always hard, the problem. It's hard to drain the swamp when you're spending more money than any president ever in history before you, for example. Oh, boy, you I'm trying to, to be gentle. It. You have to shrink it. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be gentle here, um, but uh, there's no beating around it. So let me ask this. I mean, a lot of people are getting concerned and they're saying, look, you know, he seems to be running away with this. People seem to be just slavishly devoted to him. Uh, they're going around, you know, scaring anyone um, into not into supporting him. Um, I know in my business, uh, you know, in the conservative media space, there is a moral hazard that there is no upside and only a downside to ever pointing out the things that you and I are doing um, because the left and the rhinos fake fight him. So it kind of muddles it and makes it well, hard. People said that to Ann Coulter in early 2015, too. <laughs> and uh, Ann Coulter looks pretty smart in the rearview mirror. Well, and so- she is not and she has been woefully disappointed. So but but a lot of people are asking you know, he seems to be running away with this. And is does DeSantis plan to run? And why isn't he just running? Well, for one, 
as much as I appreciated his time in Congress, as you know, he was a founder of the Freedom Caucus. Um, he was a, 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 a con constitutional conservative there, but he was only there six years. And uh, nobody's excited about him for president because of his time in Congress. They're excited about him for president because of the amazing leadership that he has provided when given the reins of Florida. And um, look, he, he had a landslide win with his whole team. He brought the whole team with him in November of 2022. He had massive coattails, something no one else running for president has ever proven. And President Trump has proven the negative in his case. He's depressed turnout for those on his ticket uh, running at the same time. And so now we're just coming to the end of the of the legislative session, a wildly successful legislative session for Governor DeSantis. And that's what he's been focused on. He has a veto session here in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we saw this week that he cut ties with his big um, state in-state PAC. That's viewed as a step toward the presidential mm -hmm. run. I hope it is. And um, and it's ridiculously early. I mean, people are talking about this like voting is going to start in two months. We're we're like 10 months away, nine months away yeah. from voting. The only reason there's this much conversation now is because, one, a former president got in the race, and two, he got in days after the midterms. Which has never been done. He helped contribute to a poor performance of, by the way. Um, and uh, And and – Yet what did he do for six months? His polling with DeSantis is just about the same today as it was when he got in the race. So while everybody's freaking out about a candidate who isn't even in the race yet, um, I think you're going to be very pleasantly surprised to see that the more Americans learn about Ron DeSantis, his personal history, paying his way through college, going to the military, um, working as a prosecutor before helping found the Freedom Caucus – and his consistency over 10 years in government is going to really motivate a lot of voters. They're already very excited uh, about what he's accomplished that they know of. And there's so much more they don't know. What we find at Never Back Down, which, by the way, is at neverbackdown.org, is that the more people learn about Ron DeSantis, the more excited they become about him as the nominee and a president who can not just win the election, but make it matter. Make it matter. Follow through. Follow through. We need to follow through on the border. Governors right now need to be like DeSantis. And you've given us a lot of interesting things to think about for the future. Let me know, folks, if you agree with Ken Cuccinelli, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. We got to run. Until tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.